Let's pray together then. Father, please make our time in your word tonight what you would have it to be. Please show us what you need us to see, and please, most of all, show us yourself, for we know that that is what we most need. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in the last part of chapter 2 tonight. I was in the office this afternoon and um, had a very brief interaction with Mr. Carmen Wolf. A lot of you know Mr. Wolf. Please pray for him. His his wife went to be with the Lord uh, last Saturday and they'll have the funeral here at the church this Sunday. So I, he was here and I gave him a hug and he gave me some kind of compliment, you know, nice shirt or something like that. And I said, well, thanks. I, you know, I did my best. And he related how occasionally, I guess, he would say to his mother um, something like that. You know, well, I did my best, or I'm doing my best. Sarah was there, so if I get the story wrong, she can correct it. But I'm doing my best. And his mom would, say, would come back with something like, well, your best just isn't, very, isn't good enough then, or your best isn't very good, something like that. And I thought that was, one, kind of harsh for a mother to say, but two... I thought um, that that actually is the perfect illustration of what we need to talk about tonight. Our best before God is really not very good. Which means that in order for us to have any chance of being right with God, we need somebody else's best. Because ours isn't going to cut it. And that's what Galatians 2 is all about. Now... The, the reason that we need someone else and not ourselves is because all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, we would read about Adam and Eve and God creating them perfect and their rebellion against God, their sin, their giving in to the temptation to eat of the fruit offered to them by the serpent. That was not just a bad decision for them. That was a decision that separated them and every person after them from God. It made Adam and Eve and you and I and everyone else in between not right before God. So we need to figure out what the solution is for that. And thankfully, later in the Bible, those answers to those questions are made very clear. We're going to talk tonight about the last uh, couple of paragraphs here in Galatians 2 and answer some questions about justification. Justification is a is kind of a big fancy word, but I'm telling you that it's maybe the most important word as far as your relationship with God, and I want to explain why. So let's read these verses, and then let's answer some questions about justification. We're going to start in Galatians 2 and verse 15. Paul writes this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, 
I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Several times in this passage, Paul uses this word justified, or, or righteous, or right, being able to achieve righteousness. So we're going to ask a few questions that this passage, I think, answers about justification. I want this to kind of guide our discussions for tonight. So here's the first question. You've got them all written there in your notes. We're going to try to give some answers, okay? Question number one, what is justification? Maybe you've heard that term and not really been able to define it, or maybe you're hearing it for the first time. So what is it? What does it mean? Here's, here's a simple definition. Write this in. To be justified is to be declared right with God. It's to be declared right with God. Now let's go ahead and, and let's get the alternative out of the way. If you're not right before God, what are you? Wrong before God, okay? You, you are in the wrong, okay? You are, if you're right, you, we, if you and I are right before God, He accepts us. If we are not right before God, He rejects us, right? So this is an important thing. To be righteous and to be declared right before God is an important thing because it determines whether or not on the last day when we all stand before God in judgment, whether or not He accepts us or rejects us. So this is a, this is a courtroom type Term. This is to be declared either guilty or not guilty before God. And Scripture tells us that all of history is headed toward a judgment day with God where all of us will be declared one of those things, either guilty or not guilty before God. To be justified means you are right with God, you are not guilty before Him. So this is an important term. We want to make sure we get it right. Let's, let's, add to, let's add some explanation to that definition. So write this down. The justified are counted as righteous before God. They are counted as righteous before God. Not because they are righteous themselves. We'll explain why it has to be this way as we go through these verses. So they're, they're counted righteous before God, not because they are righteous themselves, but because the righteousness of Jesus is counted for them. The righteousness of Jesus is counted for them, for those who are justified. That's the answer to question number one. What is justification? That defines it. Number two, let's ask, why do we need it? And this is where we will see Paul's explanation give the answer here. Why do we need justification? Two reasons are made pretty clear in this passage. The first reason is that no one is born righteous before God. No one is born righteous before God. Look, look back at, at verse 15. He says, We ourselves are not... We, I'm sorry, we are... Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. So he makes a distinction here between the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people. And he says that all the non-Jewish people are what? Sinners. 
They are not right before God. It, even in their ethnicity, you could say. So no matter what nation you're from, if you're not a Jew, you are a sinner. You are unclean. You are not right before God. And you might expect him to say, but we Jews are right with God. But look at the next verse. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So in the Old Testament, when God gave the law through Moses, who did he primarily give it to? Like what nation? What group of people? The Israelites, okay? Did the Israelites, did the Jews keep that law? No, they didn't. So, so if they had obeyed that law perfectly, then maybe they stand a chance of being right before God. Maybe they could justify themselves by their works. But Paul says, no, that didn't happen. A person is not justified. A person is not righteous before God by works of the law. Which means that if you're born a Jew or a Gentile, which, which is just a way of saying if you're born, no matter what nation you're born from, you are not born righteous before God. All right? What about becoming righteous before God? Could that happen? Here's the second answer. Why do we need justification? No one can earn righteousness before God. No one can earn it. That's implied in his statement about the works of the law. Is there anyone who obeys all of God's laws perfectly? No. None of us can. None of us have. Which means we stand no chance in and of ourselves of making ourselves good enough for God. If you and I stand before God at the end of the age, and all we have to show are our best efforts, is that good enough? No. Well, Lord, it's the best I could do. I'm sorry, it's not good enough. Your best is not good enough. We need... So this is why... All right, go back to that, that second definition there. The justified are counted as righteous before God, not because they are righteous themselves, but because the righteousness of Jesus is counted for them. This is, this is why this is a miracle, okay? You and I have no righteousness in and of ourselves, do we? And yet somehow, God can look at us and can count us and declare us righteous even though we're not. So some people might say, well, if you are, if you are a Christian, you are righteous before God. I would disagree with that. You're not righteous before God. You can have Jesus counted on your behalf and he is righteous before God in which case you can be counted righteous before God. You see the difference? You are not righteous before God. I am not righteous before God. We are at the same time, we can be at the same time, justified and sinful. It's, it's hard to wrap our minds around that sometimes. Like we think, well, we're, on, we're one or the other. No, we are both at the same time if we are in Christ. But we need to be declared righteous because we're not going to be able to produce it on our own. Okay. So then, third question. How can we receive justification? And Paul makes it very clear here in these verses. Not by works, but through faith in Jesus. Not by works, but through faith in Jesus. A lot of religions will teach that as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, that's the best hope you can have of gaining entrance into heaven. The Bible disagrees with that completely. Even, even if our good works tripled 
our bad works. We would be guilty before God, wouldn't we? Because it's not our works. We are justified not by works, but through faith in Jesus. Look at how he explains this in, in verse 19. He says, through the law, I died to the law. That sounds like an odd thing to say. I died to the law so that I might live to God. He's, he's, again, it sounds weird to our ears, but it's like he's saying, as far as the law is concerned, the law has condemned me to death, so I've just died to it. I've willingly died to it. I have died, and he goes on in verse 20, talking about Christ's own death. I have been crucified with Christ. I think that's his way of saying, Jesus' death has counted for my death. The law was going to condemn me to death, so I willingly die to it anyway, and I crucify myself with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And I live by faith in the Son of God. So listen, if you're, if you're hoping in your best efforts to get you to heaven, to make you right before God, I would urge you, just put that idea to death. It cannot happen for you. Die to that idea so that you can have the life that Christ offers. Let his life count for yours. Was Jesus righteous in his life or in his death? Both, right? Jesus had to live completely perfectly in his life. Otherwise, he wouldn't be righteous. But it's in his righteousness throughout his whole life and even in his death that counts for you. His life counts for you and I and his death counts for you and I. Which means his resurrection counts for you and I as well. It's not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So it's not by works, it's by faith in Christ. It's also, next blank, not by the law, but by the grace of God. Verse 21, there at the end of the chapter. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purchase. Think about that last phrase. If you could gain righteousness through the law, did Jesus need to die? No, not at all. There'd be no reason for him to die. You could accomplish on your own. He wouldn't need to do it for you. But you can't. So Jesus died. And that death is a grace of God. That's why he says, I don't nullify the grace of God. He's recognizing that the death of Jesus is a display of God's grace to us. Okay, so I, I like the phrase uh, in Ephesians 2, again, that most of us know. Uh, you and I are saved by grace through faith. Right? By grace through faith. By God's grace through our belief in that grace, our trust in that grace. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, maybe you're thinking, well, what if I don't have enough faith? Like, if this really depends on my faith, should I be concerned? Well, the real test of faith is not like how great your faith is, but how great is the object of your faith. Okay? So, if I'm trusting in my own faith, what am I really trusting in? Myself, like my own ability. You could even say my own works. But I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even, I don't even have faith in my own faith. Okay? I have faith in the work of Christ. I have faith in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Which is an act of God's grace. So we're justified by grace through faith that's how we can have it 
It's, that's why he emphasizes in, in verse 16, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith. It's not the, again, not the amount of belief you have, it's the object that you believe in. Question number four. What is the evidence of justification? And to answer this question, we're actually going to have to look at James chapter 2. Now, this is where it might, if it hasn't already, this is where it really might throw us for a loop. But turn over, turn to the, near to the back of your Bible to James chapter 2. And I want to read what James has to say about this topic to answer this fourth question. What is the evidence of justification? So James chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 14. He asks, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Okay. Does it sound like James agrees with Paul? You think so? Basically. Okay, on the surface, it almost sounds like he's adding to it, right? It, it really almost, you could say, well, wait a minute. Paul says justification, like being right before God, is simply through what we believe. And James says, wait a minute, you better show me your works so that I know that you have faith. So, and, and James even says, so then you know that we are justified by works and not by faith alone okay so is there a contradiction here let's 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 see if we can make sense of what is being asked here we're asking the question what is the evidence of justification and here's what i think james is trying to tell us here's the answer write this in living faith is displayed by good works living faith is displayed by good works if you look down at verse 22 He's talking about Abraham, and he says, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Which explains the next point here. Write this in as well. Works are not the basis of faith. Rather, faith produces works. It produces works. So let's let's try to make a distinction. If you are trying to do good works in order to make yourself right with God, will you be successful? No, none of us will. Paul made that very clear. 
However, if you have genuine faith in the finished work of Christ, can you expect that you will then do good works as an evidence of your faith? You can expect that, and I think you should. So then, here's where... Here's where the question might get sort of, sort of tricky is, is there a sense in which we must do good works in order to be right with God? To show our faith. And I would say, as an evidence of our faith, yes, I think so. Do we need to, to be righteous in order for God to be pleased with us? No. He's pleased with us based on what Jesus has done, and He's counted Jesus' work on our behalf. But if we are obedient to God, if we belong to Him, doesn't He ask us to do certain good works? He does, right? And so there's going to be evidence of that work, which means it's going to show up in our behavior. There's going to be some consistency with our lifestyle and what we claim to believe. There's going to be some evidence. It's, it's almost like the, the faith is the seed Okay? The seed is planted and out sprouts the fruit, and works is the display of that. Works is the fruit, right? It's what's displayed when the seed is planted. It's how you know what the seed really was. It's how you know that the seed was true faith. Listen, this is, this is crucially important for how we view ourselves before God, for how we view our own behavior around each other. If, if good works for us is like, oh, I don't really want to do good works, but I guess I have to in order for God to be happy with me, okay, I would urge you and I would say that's not the right way of thinking about it. We should pray and ask God to make us want to be obedient to Him, make us want to do good works, because I think that's the evidence of a true faith. So I mean this to be encouraging, and I mean it to be challenging. The encouragement is, listen, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. You cannot behave enough to make God happy with you. He has offered salvation to you based on what Jesus has done, not based on what you have done. But because of what he's done for us, I hope we want to show evidence of our faith by doing good works, by being obedient to the one who has rescued us, who has offered us righteousness through his son that's my prayer for us i'm going to pray and we'll break into some groups and talk through these things father these are important truths these are in some ways complicated things to think through and certainly challenging things to think through so lord we do pray that you'll clarify these things in our minds and use them both as an encouragement and a comfort to know that to be right with you, that way has already been accomplished because of what Jesus has done. Lord, we can't add anything to what Jesus has done. We simply trust him alone. We trust that it's his works and not our own that saves us. And Lord, we pray that to the world and to one another, we will display evidence of that faith of being right with you as we seek to obey you in this world, as we seek to be holy as you are holy. So Lord, as we break into groups, help us to uh, both encourage one another with this and to challenge ourselves with this and to think further about these things uh, and to seek your guidance along the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.